0: Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. I hope all of you have had a good week so far. Hard to believe that we're um, already halfway through another week. And what I find hard to believe is that next week uh, will be the um, last week of April. For some of you, it probably seemed like it had been a while since I was on the air last. But what I can assure you is that during the time that I was on the air last, up until now, I had been... um, Doing an assortment of things. As I've said before, I can't always revolve my life around podcasting, but that's not always a bad thing. However, um, I did see where uh, some of you, maybe not some of you, but a lot of you, have been able to catch up on uh, other episodes with the uh, series that we're doing on uh, Robert Fulton, or rather, I should say, the fire of his genius Robert Fulton and the American Dream, as well as uh, from other. more recent uh, podcast uh, topics that have been uh, discussed. But nonetheless, it's always good to uh, see uh, people um, listening, uh, whether you all are seasoned veterans going on close to two years or or, are rookies to my uh, podcast um, network. Regardless of whether you're a rookie or a veteran, uh, I welcome you all. And uh, thank you for um, listening to what I have uh, to present uh, because... It is relevant information and it's also um, history that, um, how do I say it? It's history that's eye opening. Uh, History that um, helps us uh, get a better understanding of what uh, was going on during the time that, say, an event took place or for when a person of uh, historical uh, significance or of historic significance was um, alive. So, in this uh, segment to the fire of his genius, we're going to be uh learning a little bit more about um about Fulton's time in uh Europe, but what I can assure you is that uh, in the segment here, um this is going to be kind of the uh end of his time in Europe because uh when we're on uh the air again uh next time, we will be learning uh more about um what unfolds come uh eighteen oh seven. So you know, it's one thing to make history in a particular year—that uh, is for someone—but usually the history itself that uh, that comes about is uh, is what we call behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, stuff that occurs over time before that um, grand finale event uh, that takes center stage um, is what um, becomes something of a revolutionary um, importance in terms of this case being an invention that will alter. Um, America's um, transportation uh, system in terms of not just uh, transporting people by um, a steamboat, but also how uh, the movement with uh, commerce will be um, greatly enhanced and in many ways uh, changed forever. So our first uh, lead-off question for this uh, segment to the fire of his genius, Robert Fulton and the American Dream by Kirkpatrick Sale, will be the following. Had England uh, known about Robert Fulton's uh, proposals regarding his desires to build a Nautilus, I think we all should know by now what a Nautilus is. It's another uh, term for submarine. Uh, Had England known about Robert Fulton's proposals regarding his desires to build a Nautilus, a.k.a. submarine, prior to 1797 when he had left for France? Okay. Uh, Remember this... Folks, uh, Fulton arrived to um, England in this, in uh, March of 1787. So is it fair to say that when he arrives to France in 1797 that Fulton had been in England for about 10 years at most? Yes. So the bottom line is, do you all think that uh, England knew about uh, Fulton's proposals regarding um, his wishes to build a Nautilus, a.k.a. submarine? Yes. His uh, first sketches, or I should say drawings, had been proposed to the British uh, government as early as 1793, because remember, um, those are when his uh, first sketches and drawings were proposed, but the proposal behind uh, wanting to build a submarine had been a, uh, during a five-year uh, course from 1793 to 1797, but years later, come 1801, um, Britain learned of uh, Fulton being rejected by their um, arch-rival nation, a.k.a. France, whom saw him as being more of a swindler. You know, didn't uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, from our last podcast uh, session, um, didn't, uh, didn't we learn that Napoleon Bonaparte uh, viewed Fulton as a bit of a fraud? Yes. You know, f- did Napoleon think of uh, Fulton's ideas as, you know, somewhat brilliant, sure, but there was something about Fulton that just um, irked Napoleon. Uh, but then again, there were others in the French government who, um, who um, were in awe of his work, but yet they really weren't 100% sold on it. So now I'm beginning to think, well, why would uh, Fulton uh, want to, um, you know, go back to England and try to um, persuade the English, or rather the British, into um, doing something that um, even their government leaders had rejected when he first arrived, uh, most notably uh, the Earl of Stanhope, whom um, did not like the fact that Fulton had uh, questioned his um, proposals with regards to um, connecting um, the English Channel, uh, with a uh, channel um, in France uh, with regards to, uh, lock, uh, we call it uh, canals, or a.k.a. Uh, lock system uh, along a, a series of uh, canals. You know, it's a double-edged sword, but then again, you know, we should keep in mind that America in the late, in the early 1790s going into the 19th century is stuck in the middle, in a sense, but it's America is stuck in the middle between... Um, the conflict involving France and England. How so? Well, um, think about this. America is um, traveling the waters in terms of, of trading with England and France, but yet they're not being fully respected. Well, what is England doing? They're engaging in acts of impressment. you probably heard me mention about impressment before, where they are basically entering onto American boats without any proper consent but yet, but yet capturing our sailors and forcing them into, um, into uh, fighting for the uh, British, because one of their claims is that they are um, short on manpower in England. There's more to that, but that was one of their reasons, but it was also their way of um, bullying America or Americans along the high seas by saying, look, you, know, you may have won your independence against us on your soil, but as for the high seas, we still reign, and we call the shots as to whom uh, goes along our, along the waters and whom doesn't. So, this is a um, what I call a double edged sword. You know, Fulton's trying to make headwaves or headlines in France. He doesn't get anywhere. He's had what do you call it um, struggles in England. So it, it's almost as if, you know, he's playing a game of fire right here. In other words, you know, he gets rejected by one nation. What makes, what makes us think that he's going to um, be able to go back to the nation before and um, be not just, it's not a question of being welcomed back, but, but um, in this case, England wanting to accept his uh, proposals. Well, maybe we should uh, find out a little bit more um, about that here. But during Robert Fulton's time uh, spent in both England and France, both European nations spent the majority of the time fighting against one another. Well, there again, that makes sense uh, because here America, when George Washington was president, uh, Washington declared uh, an act of neutrality. In other words, we're not going to take a side as to whom we're going to be supporting in that conflict between England and France but at the same time you know america is stuck in a crossfire whom are we going to whom would we be allies with and and if we offend the other nation what is that going to how is that going to impact us long term so so even at the start of the 19th century the world is a bit at uh, war uh, most notably the nations that are the most uh, formidable and powerful uh, being in Europe, we would say England, uh, France, and Spain, just like they were during the 18th century. So, yes, for uh, throughout Robert Fulton's time, was, for which he spent in both England and France, uh, both of the uh, European nations had spent a majority of the time fighting against one another. There was only one um, moment in time, and it was just a very, very brief uh, period, folks. For one moment... And I'm not talking about one shining moment, like, you know, the song that they sing after the um, March Madness tournament here. But for one moment, um, France and England agreed to peace. And that was the the Treaty of Amiens, which ended the French uh, Revolutionary Wars. Uh, The treaty was signed on March 25th of 1802. Uh, about uh, just after one year after Thomas Jefferson had become president. However, uh, May of 1803, uh, 14 months later, the Peace of Amiens breaks apart, meaning that Britain and France resume militaristic hostilities against each other. And it was around mid-1803, while still in France, a friend of Fulton's, turned up in Paris. Who is this friend? I wished I knew his name. I think um, even author Kirkpatrick Sale would have liked to have known his name. I think even historians would have liked to have known this uh, person's name, but we know it's a man, but we, but we don't really know for sure what his name truly was. That makes me wonder if, in fact, he was... Um, Someone uh, working in what we now know as like a modern-day intelligence agency. Like, think of it as like, you know, modern-day like the CIA, for example. Or uh, Homeland Security. So anyways, this um, friend of Fulton's turned up in Paris asking Robert Fulton if he was up for returning to London. Okay, folks, so think about this. We've got someone now from England who has tracked down Robert Fulton in France, in Paris, France, and now wants to know if uh, Robert Fulton himself is willing to return to London and build not just a mechanism, but mechanisms for which the British Navy could use against their nemesis, being none other than France. Does Robert Fulton agree to come back? He sure does. And as I said earlier, this uh, friend of Fulton's, um, his identity was never uh, known, but what historians do know is that this friend of Fulton's was a British Secret Service agent who may have been um, referred to as a Mr. Smith. You know, think about it, folks. Smith is a common last name. Uh, so maybe, you know, think about it. There are so many people out there with the last name of Smith. This person's uh, secret agent name being Smith would just blend right in, right well in. Um, so, hey, you know, if you don't want your identity to, to be revealed in terms of whom you're working for, you've got to you know, pick a, a name, a last name that's common, uh, a last name that would uh, blend into the greater society, depending on what your mission is at stake. So, uh, Robert Fulton does agree to go um, to England, but it's not just overnight that he's going to leave. April 29th of 1804, Robert Fulton left Paris, France for England, where he sought to devise a weapon of warfare used against a nation, being France, that had been his previous home for the past six years. To me, this almost sounds like an act of I don't know if I'd say an act of treason. I think treason is too strong because he hasn't committed a crime of um of of anything that would fall under a traitorous activity. He hasn't sold a country out. I mean, after all, Robert Fulton is from the United States. He doesn't have what we would think of in today's time as dual citizenship. But I just find it interesting that he has spent um time in both England and France for extended periods of time. You know, he was in England for almost 10 years and in France for uh, about maybe six to seven years at most. And now we have to think to ourselves, okay, if he's going to be returning back to England, how long might he be staying there? Not just short term, but long term, because at some point he probably will have to come home to the uh, United States um, in and at some point, go about making history because, isn't it in the United States where he makes um, history along the Hudson River? I know I might be giving something away, but but if I go any further, um, then I'll probably give more away than I'd want to. But the bottom line is, is that yes, he will eventually come back to America, but he's still got some unfinished business in uh, Europe. So for Robert Fulton on. April the 29th, 1804, he leaves Paris, France for England, and by going back to England, he is going to um, assist the British, uh, that is the British Navy, in devising a weapon of warfare that can be used against uh, France uh, given that France had been his previous home for the past six years. Uh, to me, I, I feel as if Fulton allowed himself to get stuck in a crossfire between two overseas, or rather I should say two European nations that pretty much sought to outdo one another, even if it meant Fulton stabbing one nation in the back, being France, while supporting the other, whom had no respect for America's ships on the waters. England. Remember what I mentioned earlier, folks, England engaging in acts of impressment along the um, high seas, you know, capturing American sailors, taking them hostage, you know, forcing them against their own will uh, to fight for the British. And then just uh, not just seizing um, American uh, crew pe- crewmen, but how about stealing American goods that are intended to uh, be sent to, say, France or to another um, European nation, only for the British to steal, pardon me, to steal that cargo and sell it to another nation at a much lesser price. Um, so, you know, you think about it, in, in this day and time, uh, being along the waters is not a, um, it's not as safe as we'd like to think it is. And the fact that here Robert Fulton is supporting um a nation, whom has no respect for America's ships on the waters, it just makes me wonder um, what Fulton is really thinking. To me, if I was in his shoes, maybe it would just be time to go back home now. But at the same time, Robert Fulton, he's desperate. Uh, he's desperate uh, to make a name for himself in, in, in overseas in Europe. Because one of his uh, missions in going to Europe was to study um, about the uh, European canal systems, which was great. But at the same time, it's one thing to want to invent something, but if you don't have enough support for it or enough interest, then one would say, you know, you're you're wasting your time. You need to go back, either go back home or come up with something else that might be a great sell for a nation to use both short and long term so did Robert Fulton come into London w- with an alias does anybody know what the uh, what what the uh, term alias means well is when one says they're using an alias so they use in their real name no an alias is a cover name so the answer is yes Robert Fulton did come into London England with an alias name and his alias name was Robert Francis. That's pretty unique. I mean, it's um, probably far more unique than, say, Robert Smith, but Robert Francis um, is a very uh, clever uh, alias uh, name. Now, after uh, arriving in London come mid-May of 1804, um, Robert Fulton drew up his proposals and drawings for a submarine And what did that submarine include, folks? I've mentioned it uh, before, but I'll mention it to you all again. It included a naval mine. You know, those underwater explosive devices that Fulton is trying to sell. Uh, I mean, he tried to sell it to the French. You know, he had some success, but it really wasn't a whole lot. And I think it's fair to say that he tried to sell it to um, England um, before leaving for France. But they didn't really seem to be interested in it then. So why now? Well, Britain is under new uh, prime minister leadership, and it turns out there's um, a fella, and his family has a history of um, government leadership uh, within Parliament as well as uh, prime ministry. Uh, the prime minister of uh, of England in 1804 is uh, William Pitt the um, the younger. There was a William Pitt, whom uh, who was uh, who played a prominent role. He was William Pitt the Elder uh, during the American Revolutionary War, and he was one of the um, of the um, sympathizers in Parliament who actually sympathized with the colonies in terms of how um, the Crown and uh, other members of Parliament and just the British government in general had actually treated uh, the colonists in terms of imposing unfair um, legislation like the Stamp Act, the Townshend Duties, uh, the Quartering Act, um, you know, those uh, coercive acts, those kinds of measures. But um, William Pitt, the uh, younger, uh, would end up uh, giving uh, Robert Fulton um, the um, go-ahead to be able to have a permit in building um, a steam engine you know after all hey it's one thing to build a boat but (laughs) you got to have something that will um you know think about boats for a long time have relied upon uh the forces of nature uh to move from point a to point b but fulton obviously is doing something a little bit different and it's a little bit and it's much more revolutionary and in some people's eyes probably more complicated than what's going on now but um Prime Minister Pitt has given Fulton the approval to have a permit in building a steam engine. However, there is a, a stipulation on this. Fulton wants the steam engine exported. Where does he want it exported to, folks? Does he want it exported to America? Or rather, I should say to the United States. Does he want it exported to Spain or does he want it exported to Italy? Well, the answer is pretty, easily, pretty easy, folks, in the United States. Because that's where uh, history is going to get made uh, in a few short years. However, uh, Prime Minister Pitt um, is going to see to it that this permit uh, be extended. In other words, Fulton can say all he wants that he can get the steam engine made by such and such time, but Pitt's going to extend the permit because, you know, you can say all you want that I'm going to have it made by a certain time, but there's no guarantee of it so even with it as great as it is to have an extension that also means you better get the um, better get it made before the extension itself could be uh, completely uh, cut off. So um, you know where is Robert Fulton going to venture in uh, England um, in general I mean now you know, we know England is a nation that's uh, surrounded by water—not just the Atlantic Ocean, but the uh, the North Sea. Um, you know, England's got a lot of waters, more than one body of water. Um, where where would Robert Fulton go if he wanted to conduct um, experiments not only with um, with a, with the boat, but say experiments that would involve um, uh, what do you call it, his underground or underwater um, explosives, we call those naval mines, where would he need to go in England to be able to, uh, to do this kind of stuff? Well, I can tell you, much, tell you this much, the city where he would be going to is a what we call a port and island city. Is it anywhere near uh, London? Uh, the, I can tell you this much, this city is about 70 miles southwest of London. The city is uh, known as uh, Portsmouth, England. I find that interesting because uh, there is a place in Virginia, uh, east of where I live, called Portsmouth, Virginia, and it's right on the water. Uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, is not too far, or it's just before uh, Norfolk, uh, Hampton, or I should say Hampton Roads, Uh, it is before Virginia Beach, not too far from, um, say, Smithfield, uh, Suffolk, so even, uh, as I said, Portsmouth, Virginia is along the water. So, uh, yes, Robert Fulton will have to go to uh, Portsmouth, England, being 70 miles southwest of London. And there is the Portsmouth Navy Yard, which was home to a, um, an arsenal or what we call a stash of, um, of his own naval mines that he um, has constructed or built. Where come later in 1804, these naval mines got used during, an act, during actual warfare combat uh, involving Britain and France. So basically, by going to Portsmouth, he's going to test out the explosives to see if, in fact, these explosives would be effective in, time, in a time of actual warfare against uh, the French. The stash of naval mines from uh, Portsmouth Naval Yard were, in fact, used against the French against French fleet forces during the raid on um, this uh, French port known as Boulogne. B o u l o g n e. I'm not. Um, I've never really taken any uh, French classes, to tell you the truth. I try to pronounce stuff as best as I can in French. I'm sure some people would probably correct me if they had to, and if they did, then I'm not going to be offended by it. Uh, But, yes, there was a raid in uh, Boulogne, um, France, or the French port of Boulogne, uh, between October 2nd and the 3rd of 1804, where, in fact, uh, Fulton um, deployed uh, the use of um, naval mines um, during this uh, raid. Between October 2nd and October 3rd of 1804, he did see, um, he had some success. I mean, in other words, he did see, uh, for himself firsthand where some of the naval mines, uh, were able to, um, penetrate through, um, through, uh, some of the, uh, French, um, fleet ships. However, um, Although uh, he did, like I said, although he did achieve some uh, success in using the naval mines to destroy or damage some of the French fleet, the success overall was minimal. So, in other words, okay, if there were 10 ships attacked with, um, with the use of his uh, underwater naval mines, is it, you know, okay, you got 10 ships, let's say two or three were hit by uh, these mines, all right, let's just say three were. So three out of ten right there, that means 30% of the ships did sustain some damage. But overall, overall 70% were, were still intact or um, suffered probably a scratch at most to where they were still staying afloat as though nothing had even happened. So, you know, yes, you've got some success, which is better than none, but, um, but it's, it's minimal. Do I think it's okay that it's minimal? Perhaps so, because if he had so much success in in, in seeing to it that these mines destroyed uh, naval ships, I think it would be fair to say that over time, news would reach back to America, and Fulton's name would be in newspapers, and I don't know if that would make his um, close friend whom he had met just a few years earlier in in France, I don't believe it would make this person uh, very happy. Should we find out his name? Is it fair to say we already probably know who his name is, yes. Uh, When did Robert Livingston return to America based on the time which Robert Fulton was conducting his naval mine experiments? Ah, did you hear that folks, Robert Livingston? You know, or should I say Chancellor Robert Livingston, you know, whose estate is uh, known as the Clermont, right along the Hudson River. So, yes, when did Robert Livingston return to America? Uh, He left uh, England in May of 1804 to return home to America. Do any of you all feel as though that there was any uh, contact between Fulton and Livingston during the year of 1804? Uh, historians do not have any evidence that exists of any contact between um, either man during the year of 1804. Robert Livingston, you know, Robert Livingston left. Uh, he left to go back home, obviously, probably for um, a handful of reasons. But he only has three years left uh, on the existing monopoly. He was able to get an extension on it. With regards to uh, water waterway rights along the Hudson River, where he needs to have a boat uh, navigate along the waters uh, successfully before or by April 1807. So, you know, he think you know we think oh three years he's got plenty of time. Yes, he might, but. <laughs> A lot of things can happen in three years from now. You know, shoot, for all we know, Mr. Livingston could pass away unexpectedly, and if if he were to pass away unexpectedly, then his monopoly no longer exists either, too. So time is of the essence here. Robert Livingston knew nothing of Fulton's business practices in England with regards to um, the um, naval um, mines. Maybe that's a good thing, because if, if Livingston knew, I don't believe he would be very happy. I believe he would probably say to Fulton, look, you're wasting my time, um, you're wasting other people's uh, times as well in America, whom, whom are interested and excited about what could be down the road in the future, but you being over in Europe uh, trying to impress France and England with these underground naval mines just isn't cutting it well what's important about December 13th 1806 does anybody want to take a guess as to what in the world could possibly be so important about December 13th 1806 Robert Fulton officially returned to America for the first time in 20 years he is he's finally coming back home is it fair to say that when he comes back to the United States that that the That the America he left 20 years beforehand is much different than it was, than it will be 20 years later. Yes, it is. You know, we have to keep in mind that when people traveled from America to uh, Europe during this time, it wasn't like they were just going to be gone for a week or two. When they left, they were gone for months, and in some instances, maybe a year at most. So when, when a loved one left, and, you, and nine times out of ten it was a husband, or uh, or really just a man who went over to Europe. If a woman went to Europe, she usually accompanied her husband. Um, she accompanied her husband, but for Robert Fulton to to have been as to have been gone for as long as he had, you know, twenty years, I would definitely say that uh, America has definitely changed. So, Fulton, I thought you all might like this. Um, How long do you think it took Robert Fulton to uh, make it back to America? Do you think it took uh, six months, or do you think it took only seven weeks? It turns out that Fulton's voyage across the Atlantic Ocean took seven weeks. That's not bad, but but he could have probably gotten back a lot sooner, but a lot of this was due to bad weather. Uh, historians know that, um, that usually when people traveled to Europe, they did so during the spring when the weather wasn't so bad. That is, the, wa- the waters weren't, um, weren't rough, uh, but during the wintertime, they were um, considered to be far more um, unpredictable. Even Thomas Jefferson himself always um, had this uh, belief that if, that if a ship was going to go from America to Europe and back, it needed to be no less than five years old. It needed to have made a successful voyage uh, back each way uh, from Europe uh, back to America. Uh, Jefferson believed that if uh, ships that were over five years old uh, posed greater liabilities to those traveling along them. While he may have had a um, good point about that, we must keep in mind that the uh, vessels going uh, from Europe back to America were designed to be cargo vessels. So in other words, we didn't have anything that was like the equivalent of a uh, Royal Caribbean cruise line ship. Even the boats that came over to uh, what we now know as Jamestown, Virginia, and even to what we now know as Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts, those were cargo vessels. So let's keep that in mind, folks. I mean, people didn't know any better back then, but they, they had to get by with what was available. And of course, we must keep in mind too there was no such thing as drama mean either too. So I can only imagine what these voyages would have been like, regardless of the uh, time of year that you were traveling across the ocean. Uh, I can only imagine. Now, um, did it, were there any newspapers that made um, any reports about Robert Fulton's work in Europe? Yes, there was the National Intelligencer which was a Washington, D.C. newspaper. Uh, The National Intelligencer was the first to report about Fulton's work in Europe that pertained to the Nautilus, a.k.a. submarine, but there was nothing mentioned about steamboats. But Robert Fulton, upon his return back to America, knew just how important the steamboat's purpose would serve. Well, it is good to get some form of uh, press coverage I would I would say that what the National Intelligencer wrote was um, was was relevant. I mean it was it was good information for its time. but I'm sure many people are now beginning to wonder, okay, what is Fulton going to do when he comes back to America? Is he going to um, is he going to do something that's grand? Well, besides the thought or idea behind getting a getting steamboat service and use along New York's Hudson River Valley, where else had uh, Robert Fulton begun pursuing the same idea uh, waterway-wise? Okay, you know, he would like to see um, steamboat service along the Hudson River Valley, but what other body of water, folks? And this is a major one. It's still used today for, uh, for, uh, for an assortment of uh, boat services, not just for recreational uh, tourism, but also for uh, commerce purposes. How about the Mississippi? Robert Fulton began pursuing the same idea, waterway-wise, with um, in as early as February eighteen o seven, where he began making uh, calculations or estimates on how profitable steamboat service could become along the Mississippi River's uh, waterways. To me, that's pretty grand. There again, uh, the fire of his genius. Um, isn't missing out on anything because he's thinking grand ideas. On the other hand, there are men who are envisioning grand ideas, but at the same time, some of them, probably like Robert Livingston, could possibly be thinking different. Fulton, in early 1807, became convinced that he could develop or create what we know is a passenger line service along the Hudson where revenue could be generated up to 30000 per year. Well, hey, you know, let's keep in mind, folks, what group of people are going to be the only ones that might be able to afford uh, passenger line service? I would say those who are um, wealthy, and, and not just wealthy, but would have a reason to be going from, say, New York to Albany, and Albany back down to New York, uh, vice versa people who have money, who are willing to invest in, um, in a, a proposal like this. Uh, I can tell you that Robert Fulton did try to persuade Robert Livingston to go along with investing in the Mississippi River uh, Boat Service, but Livingston um, had little interest due largely uh, to what lied at stake. With meeting, uh, most importantly, with meeting the um, Hudson River uh, Monopoly deadline, which was uh, not far away. So I think Robert Livingston's smart in realizing that look, I've got to focus my resources and time on on what, on what is nearby. And that is the Hudson River. and knowing that if I don't fulfill this deadline, then I have uh, wasted the legislature, the, the state of New York's uh, legislature, I've wasted their time. You know, I may not get another chance. I've got to get this right. So come mid-March of 1807, Fulton's steamboat um, starts undergoing construction at the shipyard facility in lower Manhattan. Okay, so we're breaking ground. Uh, Did Robert Fulton and Robert Livingston have disagreements over how much money each man was to invest or spend on this uh, boat project as a whole? In a perfect world, we would like to think that that everyone who's in a partnership is in unison all the time. But I will have to admit that Robert Fulton and Robert Livingston did have uh, differences over how much uh, each man would invest, although on paper it said that it would be 50-50, but it doesn't mean that um, everything's always going to be 50-50 down the line. Uh, for Robert Fulton, he basically expected that Robert Livingston pay the same sum amounts that he that he, being Fulton himself, had done from shipping and storing the engine. You know, after all, you know Fulton had to um, have the engine exported from Europe um, to uh, back to America. So there is costs with not only just shipping an engine across the ocean, but what about storing it? And then the engine itself, you know, that's money right there. And the costs, what about the costs once you get back to America? What about other items that you're going to make or or, uh, go about working on? Like the hull being the uh, bottom of the boat. So, not just the costs that occurred overseas, but uh, costs domestically. I can tell you this much, Robert Fulton paid... $5,122 5 thousand one hundred and twenty two dollars for shipping and storing the engine. I don't know what that would equate to in today's American dollars, but but fifty one hundred and twenty two dollars was a lot of money um, for the time um, for that uh, day and time, the early uh, 19th century. Livingston, on the other hand, paid a sum of two thousand dollars in March in terms of general uh, expenses for the project. And he would go about paying another thirty-eight hundred dollars by August. Each man did invest roughly about ten thousand dollars in the steamboat. Okay, so if each man has invested roughly ten thousand dollars, that means there is about roughly twenty thousand dollars in this um, in this uh, what do you call it um, uh, venture um, capitalist? Um, not venture capitalist, but in this uh, project onto itself rather. The expenses and costs, um, although both men had the money, it, it could be fair to say at times that there were moments where the money issues did get the better of both men, but it didn't stop them from, from keeping this grand envision alive to where uh, one day in the near foreseeable future that the inevitable will happen along New York's Hudson River uh, Valley Waterway. Now, you know, here we are um, in 1807, early 1807. Uh, What American figure had died about eight years prior to 1807? He died in December of 1799, and he really was, even after he had left uh, the presidency, he was still considered America's um, number one hero. That was George Washington, right? Sure was. Uh, So, therefore, whom had become America's newest hero since the passing of George Washington back in 1799? Well, I can tell you this much. Uh, Robert Fulton has not achieved America's um, newest hero status just yet. It's not a bad thing. It's just that he's just not gotten um, to that um, elite status position yet. let me. I'll give you some choices. Who do you think had become America's newest hero since the passing of George Washington back in 1799? Was it Meriwether Lewis? Was it uh, James Madison? Or was it Thomas Jefferson? The answer is choice A, Meriwether Lewis, a.k.a. Lewis and Clark Expedition. Well, how is it that Meriwether Lewis has become America's newest hero other than just the Lewis and Clark Expedition? Well, Meriwether Lewis really was a a man of everything. He seemed to just know. He seemed to know so many things. But then again, don't you want someone who can be an effective leader when you are going from one part of America all the way to the Pacific Coast? In other words, America has just acquired the Louisiana Territory for about fifteen million dollars, being about three cents an acre. Louisiana Purchase. Uh, America's um, territory is doubling in size, so you need leaders like Meriwether Lewis and William Clark to lead a group of um, to lead a group of people on a on an expedition that will not just be a couple of months. It's going to be an expedition that's more than a year, and it was a two and a half year expedition. The expedition started in the fall of eighteen o four and uh, ended before eighteen o six ended. They left St. Louis, Missouri, and um, went all the way to um, present-day Oregon and Washington State. An expedition of the ages, to say the least. So, yes, Meriwether Lewis, um, by the fall of 1806, Americans were celebrating his achievements left and right. With the never-ending celebrations, uh, banquets, balls, bonfires... You know, to to all Americans, Meriwether Lewis is a man of everything, of the golden touch, the man whom could do no wrong. But then again, you know, he's being placed on the same pedestal as the late George Washington. Now, in eighteen o seven, in early eighteen o seven, I should say, uh, whom was Secretary of State to President Thomas Jefferson? Was it uh, James Madison? Was it James Monroe? Or was it John Jay? Uh, the answer is James Madison. Why is this important? Did, does Robert Fulton um, meet James Madison? He sure does. Robert Fulton, uh, folks, traveled to Washington, D.C. come the early start of 1807, where he proposed to Secretary of State Madison he proposed to him, believe it or not, um, the need for underwater mines. Wow. I thought this was just a European thing with the with these underwater mines. But Fulton, I can't blame Fulton for uh, mentioning this to James Madison because, you know, right now in 1807, America is facing uh, issues along the high seas, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, acts of impressment. And with this never-ending barrage of impressment, Fulton has to wonder, how is this going to impact America's um, ports um, in terms of their uh, national security? Because for Fulton, and, he, and this is not a bad idea, you know he's wondering how are America's ports going to be safe if, if in the event, say, British ships came into America's ports and all of a sudden seized, the ports to where they uh, pretty much um, took control of a port city, held the people of the city hostage, not just hostage, but but held all of the uh, cargo, um, seized the cargo to where um, it meant uh, it meant uh, capturing sailors as well. So in other words, how can America insure, be ensured that its uh, port cities? would not be, uh, wouldn't face any kind of vulnerability. Well, Fulton goes before James Madison and proposes the need for underwater mines. Yes, with regards to protecting American ports. Okay, and when we think of American ports, uh, think of Boston, Massachusetts, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, New York. (laughs) I think New York would definitely be one, considering that New York is the largest of America's cities, in 1807 with 83,000 people. You got Philadelphia, Baltimore, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, Norfolk, Virginia. I could probably name a few other cities, uh, but the bottom line is that um, Fulton wants these underwater mines in place because America's ports do need protection and the underwater mines would perhaps serve as a deterrent to keep out enemy ships. However, it is safe to say this: uh, Robert Fulton did get to experiment in early July of 1807 with underwater mine trials. So, in other words, James Madison did agree to um, go along with um, with uh, with a thought, but he would have said, along with Jefferson, President Jefferson, that, hey, look, uh, we do need to see some trials. You know, in other words, before we commit to anything, we need to see some trials. There were trials along New York's harbor, but there were no success. There was no success. So, in other words, no successful results. So, Fulton basically uh, scraps this all together. So, our final question for this uh, podcast segment is the following. When did the when did the first official steamboat trial occur along New York's Hudson River? It took place on August the 9th, 1807, 4 years to the date 4, four years earlier to the date when Robert Fulton uh, himself had conducted his original trial along Francis Cyan River. Okay, well, um, what has taken place on August the 9th, 1807 is the first uh, giant step for mankind in terms of um in terms of uh, revolutionary um waterway um boat navigation. However, what takes place on August 9th, 1807, it's just the starting point because what happens after August 9th of 1807 Will be uh, more than just one step um, above uh, going in the right direction. So when I'm on the air again next, we're going to uh, learn more about uh, August of 1807. We're also going to learn. We're going to learn some other things about what Fulton wants to do along the Hudson River Waterway. I mean, it is fair to say that we did find out earlier that he was uh, proposing an idea of of uh, passenger service from uh, New York to Albany and back. So I'm beginning to wonder in the next podcast segment if, in fact, Fulton's going to propose that again and if it does become an actual dream come true reality that will benefit um, not just uh, benefit uh, people in New York, but perhaps uh, benefit um, America in terms of needing uh, more inland waterways that will connect people not just from um, from ports, but uh, going inland uh, to where... Um, People can establish new settlements. Uh, People can do things that were never uh, dreamt of uh, beforehand. Well, thank you for your time, as always. And I look forward to being back on the air uh, next time. Uh, I've said it before and I could say it again. Thank you for listening. You guys uh, do a great job and continue to get the word out, because by getting the word out, other people will come and listen. And that just means that uh, with more and more people listening, that people are interested, and that's what this is all about. I mean, yes, I know history isn't always pleasant, but history also does help us get a better story, um, even, if it's, uh, stories that, um, even if it's stories that, even if it's stories that don't always have the happiest of endings. We still need to um, get a better story on why, you know, events uh, that were uh, tragic, you know, did happen, but this way we know uh, why they happened and how we can avoid them uh, from uh, taking place again in the future. But anyways, uh, thank you again, and I look forward to being back on the air uh, next time with all of you. Uh, Continue to uh, keep this uh, flame alive and going. Take care and stay safe.